Welcome to On The Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast, where our mission is to teach the financial literacy skills we should have learned in school. We cover financial basics, investing, business ownership, real estate, and everything in between. On The Fly. The Fly podcast, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast. Man, we have a super duper special guest today. Before we introduce him, because uh, there's, there's just so much to unpack over today's podcast episode. And again, it's actually the second podcast in a unscripted series we talked about. Again, Sean and I, we talked about last night with an, another amazing guest within like this, again, unscripted series of awesome financial literacy niche guests. Uh, last episode, we had Eric Johnson. We have a super special guest upcoming, but today we have an ultimately super special guest. Again, I won't introduce him just yet. We'll leave that kind of hanging in there. But before we get into that, uh, we have our co-host, Sean Lacey. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm sure I'd be doing a lot better if I was out where our guest was at and not sitting in the oh, snow right now. Man, yeah, it was really uh, cold this morning when I woke up. I took an exam. I told you that, Sean, uh, earlier today. But uh, yeah, no, our guest uh, in California, he's chilling. He's enjoying his time. Uh, yeah, like I just mentioned, I'm just busy with exams, busy with my last semester, as our listeners know. I'm looking forward to graduating in May. Um, but that's enough about me me and Sean. Again, we're doing well. We're always doing well. We're the, we're the podcast host. We have to be doing well. But in terms of our guest, man, number one, this is how I'm going to start. With this guest, we, or I'll speak for myself, I have been following the college investor for such a long time, prior to even being in college, right? I'm not even a millennial myself, but I have been following the college investor. I love what they do with social media. I love your guys' blog. I just love everything you guys are doing. And today we have the founder of the college investor, right? Someone who has a an immense passion for exactly what we're doing here with FLI, um, who, who lives and breathes this, someone who is advocating for something that, again, there's a void in the world with what, what's being taught in schools, what's being taught you know, uh, to, to our kids or your kids or a future generation, right? Um, this is something that we have a lot of passion for and this is just this amazing special guest who's just doing wonders with, with what he's doing here with the college investor. Today we have Mr. Robert Farrington. Again, Robert, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit more because this is actually our first call. And uh, really, I just want to know, again, more of why you do what you do, how you do what you do, what the future is of what you do. Um, but before we get into that, can you kind of let us know, um, not only for Sean and I, but for our listeners, you know, what do you do? What is a college investor? And kind of a little bit more about who Robert is. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I am excited to be here and have this conversation. I love these unscripted calls. And like, we'll just have a great time talking about financial literacy topics. So, yeah. I mean... That's why I started the College Investor. I started the College Investor in college because oh, wow. I wanted to talk about money and finance and investing specifically. Um, and as you guys know, we've evolved a lot since then. But really, it started as my idea to share investing topics with others, how to get started investing, what to invest in, things like that. And I was a little jaded uh, when I was in college because our college's investment club, you'd say, and most colleges have one, right? Um, yeah. and everyone was in there talking about trading penny stocks and like doing all this stuff. And it was like, this isn't even investing. And you guys like don't even know what you're talking about. And yeah. so it was a little frustrating. And so really, I didn't find uh, really good synergies there. And so that's why was one of the events that led me to start this site. And I really wanted to share some fundamentals, like how to do it, how to save, how to invest. And, you know, how to find some money to invest, right? Because I think that's also the big holdup, right? Everyone's like, well, that's cool. But like, how how do I start? Where do I get this money from? Right? Yeah. Um, and then you also run into these challenges of like student loans and getting out of student loan debt, you know, and things like that. And so really, we've kind of taken all these kind of topics that are so intertwined, and we talk a lot about them on the website. And so it started as just a blog, right? Now we, you know, we have video, we have podcasts, we are on social media, we have a big team that helps us out. And so that's uh, really what we do. Um, huge advocates of financial literacy, helping people get started, understanding all these tools and services that are out there, and, uh, you know, try to have a little fun with it, too. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And number one, when, when you're saying all of this, and I, and I love that you're sharing all this, I can just tell your energy and your passion, the way you smile, the way you talk, it's so radiant. As you can tell, like, I'm, I'm paralleling that. So I appreciate all the passion that's coming out of you right now, uh, Robert. And it's very interesting. I actually did not know, and again, this is my first time knowing or, uh, you know, uh, talking to you, but that you started it in school, right? So one of my first questions is, you know, how was it maybe number one, what did you study? 
and how was it going throughout your college career? Because again, that's something even I'm still a college student, so I can relate to this with, with a lot with what you're about to talk about. How challenging or what did that look like for you when you were a college student and trying to build this business? Absolutely. So um, I started to go to school as a computer science major, and that's what I enrolled for. That's what I started at my freshman year, um, and I hated it. I ended up on uh, academic probation. Uh, uh, I didn't fail. I'll I'll, I'll safely say I didn't fail anything, but I got a bunch of C minuses, you know, and that puts you at like a 1.9 or whatever. Right. Um, And, you know, I just hated my life. I was in the basement of like this old building coding on these old ass computers because like you're a freshman, you get the crappy stuff in the crappiest places. Um, And I I just hated it. I just hated it. There's no way around it. And so, I ended up changing my major to political science and economics. And uh, I actually just thrived when I did that. Um, I really loved it. What I loved about computer science was actually the logic, the science, but I actually learned I hated coding. That's what really I didn't like. I liked everything else. And you can show me and, you know, I have enough knowledge to be dangerous when it comes to that stuff, but I hated the actual like coding part of it. Uh, moved to political science. I actually learned I really liked writing. I liked reading. I liked researching. Um, and I really liked the economics of it, some of the math, but like not so math heavy that you're like going down this rabbit hole and stuff like that. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. And I graduated still or a little bit early, one quarter early. I was in the quarter system. Um, because I came in with a bunch of AP credits, sophomore standing, things like that. So, you know, it didn't really derail my career. Um, but I also, I think a lot of people don't realize I also worked full time while I was going to college. So I was working 36 to 40 hours a week. Um, I was a supervisor at target, um, you know, and so, uh, that was great though. I, I highly recommend that people work a hell of a lot in college because it only sets you up for success in the future. Honestly, nothing you learn in the classroom is actually helpful. What you're going to have is what's actually going to be helpful for you is how you balance getting in school projects while you're working, managing your time, figuring out how to do that while having friends, uh, doing fun things, because that's what's going to make you be successful when you get to a career in life. And um, along with all this, I was always like the perpetual side hustler too. So I was always, you know, selling stuff on eBay, doing random things here and there, trying to make a little extra money. And so I would take that money while I was working, when I was side hustling. Um, and I'd literally be in class on my laptop and I'd be like putting it into my account and like looking at stocks and things like that. So I'd be like in the back row with my laptop open, kind of taking notes kind of looking at the stock market and, and financial news and things like that at the same time. So that's really how I navigated college. Um, and so, yeah. So, and then along with that too, when you started the college investor in college and then upon graduation, did you end up taking a full-time job out of college or did you go straight into your business? No, I, this was a side hustle for seven years, maybe. Um, yeah, so I worked full time. I continued down through Target, right? So I started uh, at the bottom. I, I just kept getting promoted as I graduated college, got promoted again, got promoted again. Um, and so the college investor was really like the epitome of my side hustle. And I didn't make any money at it for like two years. I didn't know what I was doing, right? I was just like throwing out content and like hoping it sticks. Um, And then I started connecting with some other online people. This was like on forums back in the day. And I learned like, hey, you could put like some ads on your website and make money. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, cool. And then started making a little money. And I remember, you know, like my first like AdSense check was like $32. I was like, this is amazing. I, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, you got that money and then it just continued to grow. So I made like $7,000 that first year after I started, which was honestly what year three at that point in time. Um, and then it continued to grow. And it was like $30,000 and then it was like $40,000 and you could just continue to grow. But that was always the side hustle. I was working full time. And I remember like my first job at Target, um, I started it. I think they started me at like my, 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 my first job, my first job after graduation there. I was, got promoted to like 48,000. Then I was making 50, 55,000. And then this was like side hustle money, which was starting to be good money. But, you know, I was still making good money there too. Um, and so you put those two together and that really enabled me to start springboarding my financial situation relatively early on, right? Yeah. No, that's awesome. And uh, this is this is and there's so much to unpack here. And one, one of the questions I want to ask is, you know, with a like-minded personal finance, you know, business owner, 
what, and I love to just peer, peel back like the layer of the onion and like, what was the why? What was the catalyst for you to want to, you know, get this information out there? Because there's one thing to have it, you know, to, for you to teach yourself and for you to see the fruit of your labor yourself with investing and paying off debt and doing all these things. Right. But then that's a whole nother thing to want to have the passion and the drive to teach others. Right. So what was that drive for you? What was that fire that lit up inside you to be like, hey, I now want to teach this. I want to get this information out there. Yeah, and I think it was that, that seeing that experience when I was in college and like no one was really sharing the same kind of information. No one talked about like the basics. They wanted to talk about trading penny stocks. They didn't want to talk about like, where does the money come from? What accounts do you open? What platforms do you use? What do you do when it's there? Like, how do you handle these like fundamental things? And, you know, I was a big reader of this stuff. So like, like I said, I was in the back of the class I was reading like Yahoo Finance. I was looking at these articles. And I was like, oh man, I could just put out these articles too and share the same kind of thing. And that's what kind of led me down this path to blogging. And I know, I can't even remember the blog now, but like, I know I read one of those blog posts that says like how to start a blog. Like, right, like we've all seen those at some point in time. It's like, this is how you start a blog. And I was like, I think I just literally followed their article like step by step. I was like, okay, I'm gonna start one too and start sharing this information. And that was really it. It's like, I didn't see this information out there. I wasn't finding a whole lot of it. And I thought I could create that information and put it out there so that people could find, you know, I mean, as unbiased a source as you could possibly find. I mean, I don't know if I really am or not, but in terms of like at the time, right? And I think too, that's a good point that you were focusing on those, some would say lower level skills, but it's the basics that we often assume that everybody just grows up knowing. And maybe in your case too, you grew up knowing it, but a lot of your friends and a lot of people you interacted with at school didn't. So in along, along that, that line too, you mentioned that your degree was in political science and economics. So you have a little bit of an economic background, but as someone that puts out a lot of content relating to finance and investing, did you end up getting any certifications or additional degrees relating to finance? Not really. I mean, I went back and got my MBA. Um, so I do have that. But I can tell you that nobody needs any advanced degrees to do any of this stuff. Um, and frankly, it's almost a little scary sometimes the advice that even people with some crazy initials behind their name throw out there because the uh, border of, uh, you know, someone that's actually going to help you and a salesperson in the finance space um, gets very blurred. So, no, I don't have any. Um, but no, I'll tell you, like right now, like my day to day, I have fielded about 12 emails from both CFPs and CFAs asking questions of me related to topics that I know about in terms of paying for college, 529 plans, student loan debt. So I want wow. people listening to this to realize that, yeah, just because you have some fancy letters behind your name and, you know, did this, took a test, yeah. um, they don't know it all. And it, yeah. that's okay, because there's a, a lot of information out there in the world, but like, it's not the end all be all by any means. Right. And 100% like this is something that you live and breathe. Like this is your day to day. You're not just doing it to collect a paycheck or not just doing it for the status. No, you enjoy doing this. So naturally, whether you're probably getting paid or not, even back in the day, this is something you just naturally love spending time on doing. And that's exactly, again, Sean and I can relate to this. This is something that we just love doing. So we have a knack for collecting this kind of information and distributing it. Right. So I love that you shared that. Um, Oh, go ahead. Were you about to say something? Oh, no, and I was going to say, and, and that's going to say that that's what continued me for two plus years of not even making any money on it, right? Like I'm just writing and putting things out there. Um, and I do think if you're going to start a side hustle, that should probably be an intersection of something that you enjoy doing enough that, you know, getting paid is very nice. But on the flip side, you got to keep the motivation up until you reach that point. And if you're not like enjoying what you're doing, like you're not going to be motivated to get through any slumps or things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Yinkin, to your point, too, it, it says something, too, that none of us have advanced degrees relating to finance. And the fact that we're able to learn it and we're able to teach this information means that other people can do it, too. Yeah. 100%. No, that's, yeah, that's completely real. That's completely real. And I appreciate you sharing that, Sean. So, you know, one thing I'm curious about that, you know, your what you've built is come to it, it's so great. It's so great. It's so vast. Right. So my curiosity is 
how did you take it, you know, level by level for what you can share level and level and phase by phase to where now you are, you know, the founder, perhaps CEO, and now you have people, amazing people like, again, Andy, that's the, one of the initial contacts I, I emailed or I was, you know, uh, DMing on Instagram. Awesome guy. And I, obviously he's like the face of the social media. Uh, so really cool to kind of talk to him a little bit. How did you, you know, create a solid team? Cause I even read like you have amazing people on your team who do a lot of things. You guys, you know, work together. How did you kind of start it where? You were the initial person, and then you formed maybe an amazing team. Maybe it was people in your uh, on uh, at your college or at your university, or maybe friends, family members. Like, how did it? What was that transition for you to now get to where you are today? Absolutely. So one of the first things, like remember, this was just a blog, so it was all written content, and this was you know ten years plus ago at this point in time, and that's how you did things. You didn't have a ton of video content. You didn't have all this other stuff out there. I, really even before podcasting was a thing. So my first thing was like, I had a ton of ideas that I wanted to cover and I just didn't have enough time in my day to cover them, right? Because I am working full time and writing articles takes time. And so my first couple people that I hired were freelance writers to help me write articles for the website to fill in. So it's like, I have ideas, I just can't get this content created fast enough for that list of ideas. And so that was where I went to. Um, and it was really through connection. So like I said, I found a forum with other people that were online in the finance space. Um, this was like pre-Facebook really even too. Like it was there, there's no Facebook groups. Like you had to find forums. So we found this forum. It was other financial bloggers. Um, and so, you know, people were looking for freelance work. There was a lot of people in the same kind of boat. So like they would write financial articles, I'd publish them, things like that. And that's really what kept growing for a while. Um, you know, and then I started going to conferences related to this. So I went to the FinCon financial influencer conference, different things like that, and really started making more connections in the space. And so a lot of our team, especially on the creative side, are all people I've met through events like that. So like you said, Andy, Justine's there, um, you know, a lot of our writers, because, you know, it's what especially in the finance space, you have to have like this like intersection of a baseline level of knowledge, um, which you can learn, but it takes some time to learn and you have to be able to be creative with it. So I find that, you know, when you want to have someone that's already kind of up to speed, if they're already interested in this topics, writing yeah. about it, creating it, that's where we find them. And yeah, that's how we've built that all out um, just over time through my network, things like that. Now, that's amazing. That's something again, even like the FLI team, we're looking forward to going to FinCon hopefully the first time uh, this year. So if you're going out there, hopefully we can meet in person. I think that'd be amazing. I'll definitely uh, be there. That'd be exciting. Okay. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so now, you know, a question that stemmed from all of that is at the at the position you are now, right? How like you kind of alluded to it uh, a couple minutes ago about your day to day, right? What do you do now at the level that you are at to oversee whatever how everything goes? Like what what does your day to day look like for the college investor for the position you're at? Yeah, so I still do like almost all of the content planning piece. Um, so whether the ideas, what we're covering, the topics, things like that. Now um, that doesn't mean that like I like go through like line by line, especially on like video content, like what we're going to talk about. You can't really do that these days in TikTok and the trending sounds like you have to have a lot of faith in your creators that they're just going to realize what it is but like they know the content calendar they know what we're talking about at this point in time and then it's on them to kind of put the creative together and and do that jazz but like you know I spent a lot of time on content because I do believe that content is is the you know is the king of like everything we do online whether whatever vertical you're in like you're not going anywhere without good content uh, and then I do spend a lot of time on brand partnerships and, and that kind of side as well. Like, you know, uh, I have a business development person as well, but you know, some of these companies and stuff, they want a lot of handholding. They have a lot of questions, um, you know, and things like that. And then it's just, you know, a lot of just interacting. I spend a lot of time still responding to a lot of comments, doing things like that, answering emails, whatnot. But that I think a lot of people don't realize, especially early on in my creator journey, like why that's important, but it's like, it becomes a cycle. You build credibility by answering those questions, but you also get ideas and insights about what you should write about. And then it just kind of goes in a circle and perpetuates itself if you are spending that time with your audience, right? That's a great point too. And it sounds like you're, you're, you're getting at the point where you're, you're reaching delegate and elevate or delegate and elevate, and you're starting to bring more people onto your team that are taking off some of those, I guess, trainable tasks that you could say. And along with the content side of things, what would you say is your favorite type of content to produce? Uh, you know, honestly, the in-depth helpful stuff that is not obvious 
and uh, like kind of the investigative journalism type stuff. Um, so both of those go hand in hand, but really talking about things that a lot of people aren't talking about yet. Um, it's fun, especially as some of those topics grow over time. Like I was just, one of the questions I fielded today was about solo 401ks. And we've been talking about these for maybe like seven years and no one was talking about them seven years ago. And so like our content, we've continued to update it and answer questions. And it's fun to see those verticals grow. Uh, and then on the investigative journalism front, like we're doing things right now that are really kind of fun in terms of we've had some freedom of information requests to like the Department of Education, getting some data on uh, different things going on with student loans. Um, and there'll be a lot more to come on that. But we've already like, it's fun when you share a story and then it's like, you know, Politico, New York Times, Washington Post are using you to have elevate that story. I always find that to be really just fun, um, you know, to get ahead on that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome to hear that you're you're being you're basically providing like the fact check type information for those large news outlets. And yep. so outside of the content space, is there one area of finance, whether you say it's like student loans, 401ks, IRAs, that's your that is your favorite subject to talk about? No, well, my favorite subject to talking about is investing and building wealth like I want to help people become wealthy. Um, but the hard part is, is like you got to deal with some of that other stuff first, right? Whether it's student loans, whatnot, to, to help them overcome that. And sometimes it is a financial barrier. I find more times than not, it's a behavior and or psychological barrier um, to get there. And then, you know, with that, I'm also a huge proponent of the side hustle, like we talked about earlier. Like, um, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you to like cut out your Starbucks things like that. But I am the guy that's going to tell you that, you know, it's Friday night. What are you doing with the next four hours of your evening? Could you go out and be earning it? Or are you getting ready to go out to the bars? Like, what are you doing? And then I'm not actually here to tell you you shouldn't do that. But then like, don't come to me next Wednesday and say like, you can't like make your budget or make ends meet this month. And you're asking your parents for some extra money. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, oh, that that's so that's so good. And that again, there's a question that's something that and I love. I love that you share that. Is like, do you uh, for the college investor? Do you guys do um, uh, like like calls with people? Do you do like one on one sessions? Do you do group calls? And basically, maybe a hierarchical question would be, and obviously from whatever you can share, um, is that like one of your modes of bringing in income for the for the for the company? Is it like calls with with clients? Is it group calls? Obviously, obviously you have your ads, you have marketing. Like, what does that kind of look like for you in terms of you know? having one-on-one -on -one time with maybe clients or, and, and for that matter. No. So we don't do any one-on-one -on -one coaching or consultation okay. any longer. Um, you know, that, that just doesn't scale. Um, and mm. part two is that you do run into some fine lines on legal and stuff. And, you know, people don't like it necessarily when you, you're doing that. Like, are you a coach? Are you a financial planner? Like, where does it end? And then people also really want these questions answered. Um, you know, that you might not be able to answer. And so it's like, then you just are maybe doing a disservice to potential people. So we do all media, right? So our business is advertising. We have sponsors, we have affiliates, we have a ton of different media partnerships across pretty much every financial brand you can think of. And that's, yeah. that's how we monetize our business. But that doesn't mean that we can't help people. So one of the things that we've learned over time is that you can help people publicly as long as you're not like targeting one-on-one -on -one advice for their financial situation. So it's no different than the Dave Ramsey's of the world with the call-in show and different things. Like if you're doing it publicly, you know, you're pointing them to public resources and the public resources could be yours. You're sending them to the website like, hey, you know, here's this about 529 plans. We've already covered this in depth. Like you can answer their specific questions, but you're not answering um, like one-on-one. -on -one. Like it's, it's in the public forum. They're calling in. They're not expecting. There's no fiduciary responsibility, things like that. So you can get a lot of, you can still help a lot of people. Um, yeah. and you could do it in a way that it works. Yeah, that's really good. That's something that even like Sean and I, we just took that all in. Like that was really good. That's something how we're kind of seeing how we could potentially scale. I appreciate that gem right there. Um, even in that realm, right? So whether it's from, you know, your media or maybe back in the day when it was one-on-one -on -one or whatever, whatever that looks like to you, right? Can you talk about how amazing it feels or how even some of those stories of, you know, oh, wow, 
um, Robert, you and you talked about you know the solar 401ks or Roth IRAs or paying off debt, and I paid off my credit card, or I'm seeing you know traction in you know building my wealth or opening up my 529 for my kids. Like, what, can you talk a little bit about those stories and kind of you know filling that that fulfillment, that purpose of like, yeah, you know, I we're helping with the information we're getting out that we're helping people change their lives and even their legacy. No, and it feels great. Um, I think the hard part is, is that none of this stuff is overnight. And right. so, you know, when you want to talk about things like saving for college or paying off student loan debt or credit card debt or investing in building wealth, like uh, it takes a long time. And I'm not saying like your whole lifetime, it can, but like it takes years. And so it is amazing when I get these emails and I had one recently and the guy's like, I took your advice on student loans from like seven years ago and I just finally finished paying them off. And it's been that long, but it's like, that's actually really good that you paid them off in seven years, like phenomenal. But you know, like that's, it took that long for that to execute. And so it really feels great. But I do feel like you also just touched on the hardest aspect of being a creator in the finance space is that you don't always get to know your results because the results take time. But then it's also the hardest part of a creator to motivate your people to take action because we live in this instant gratification world where it's like, if I didn't see a result like today or this week, like this is all phony and whatnot. And like, I just, I had one the other day and it was like on YouTube and someone like, I put a hundred dollars into my IRA and it's only up to like $102. And I was like, man, it's like a 2% return in like, you know, a month, like you should feel pretty good about yourself, but like you need to put more money in there to make things actually happen. Like a hundred bucks ain't gonna turn into a million dollars no matter how you want that to work, right? <laughs> Well, and on the flip side of what you just said, it's what the product that we try to sell in terms of education is that investing is the long is in the long run and mm -hmm. building wealth and building savings and investing for retirement. It takes time. And I feel like as as content creators in that space, we kind of compete with the um, you know, take this pill and you'll become wealthy tomorrow type of deal that people fall for all the time. And, and they end up broke for like hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And whether it's, whether it's a scam or not, it's that instant gratification is something that along with trying to teach financial education, you're trying to teach a mindset shift away from that instant gratification to this is something that you need to build in the long run. I see it with real estate all the time. My friends, like, will ask me why I buy a property that cash flows $300 a month. And I'm like, well, if I keep this property for 30 years, it's going to be paid off and I'm going to cash flow who knows what in 30 years. But they're like, well, I want the money now. So I should just wholesale it and flip it and sell it. But you're missing the boat in terms of the long-term goal. And I think that it's very important to stress that, especially to even the generation younger than Yinka and myself, because my generation sees the instant gratification, but the younger generation sees it even more. Well, and and I 100% get that. But what I don't think a lot of people realize is that like, you know, the salespeople that are leading them down these paths are trying to tell them that the long term gets to like their 60s and 70s. And I can tell you that I reached a million dollars at 31 and my goal was 30. And it is completely possible to do when you start at 18, 20, 22, because your 10 year period suddenly puts you into your 30s. And, you know, those same people that were wanting the instant gratification or the quick wins or anything are just trying to start figuring out their lives at that point in time. And now you are leaps and bounds ahead of them. And that just continues to compound and grow even faster and faster and faster. And so I, I do think there is a little short-sightedness and we all fall for it. Like we all make mistakes and I'd rather people make those mistakes early because it's also less impactful on your trajectory. Like I bought the new car after college and, you know, spent extra couple thousand dollars on a sound system and, and things like that. And it's like, I wish I didn't do any of that. It was so dumb, such a waste of money, but you recover, you course correct. And it happens, but like, it also is really fun to see those investments in those accounts grow and set goals for yourself and, you know, buying a house. Like, you know, there's like this little bit of like a pity party going on in this country today of like the economy and yada, yada and, and whatnot. And I do think that the part that's missing is a big dose of personal accountability to what you did to get yourself there because what all these other people do doesn't matter in the least. Do you 
realize that you're being judged for it. Cause you know what? All your friends think you're dumb for buying these rental properties at cash flow, but also realize that when you're uh, 10 years from now, when you're set for life and they're like slaving away at a job they hate, they're also judging you. And they're like, how the hell did you do this? And they don't remember the fact that they were yeah. judging you today, you know, as they yeah. hate their lives 10 years from now. Right. <laughs> no, that, that, that's hilarious. And that's something that I love telling people like you, you put in the work, you'll see the result. And it's about the receipts. Like it's about the receipts, like 10, five years down the line, whatever, everything that we're talking about now, even though again, we're, we're 10 years younger than you are, Robert, or 20 years, younger, whatever we're, we're at, we're at our page, we're at, we're at our stage in life where you were at that stage where you were like, hold on, mm -hmm. everybody out or in my friend group or who's looking at me is like, hold on, Robert, like, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to start a side hustle? Why are you doing this? Like stick to school or stick to your job or, you know, try to get this A on this exam or whatever. Right. But it's very interesting where you're, if you're going to do unique things, you're going to get unique results. Right. And that's what I just love telling people that, okay, no matter what you think about me, just give me 10 years, you'll see the receipts. You'll see them. They're, they're coming. They're coming. Um, but you know, one of my questions now is in this space, in personal finance, can you talk about you know, what was one of your most amazing experiences with other like other personal finance influencers or at an event, maybe like a FinCon, like what is amazing or, you know, what has been that amazing connection you've made or someone you've had on your podcast or, you know, like what, 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 what was that experience for you in terms of, you know, someone who was in that space? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, most of my friends these days are creators uh, across okay. the board. And so I think that's what it's it's created for me is that, you know, you are who you surround yourself with 100%. Um, that's saying what you're like the five people you spend the most time with is, you know, you're the average of that. And I, I do think it's true. And when I started leveling up and understanding that and hanging out with creators, some people were ahead of me, some people were making more, and then you start learning and you're connecting. And then, you know, that's been the most beneficial to my personal growth, my, you know, career growth, our business growth, all of that. And it's just connecting with like-minded people because, you know, like you're going to go to FinCon hopefully this first year and you'll learn that like, you know, if you go, anyone goes in, if you go onto your campus right now or out your door and people are like, what do you do? And you're like, I, I have a podcast and I talk about money and I coach people like people are like, huh, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense. You roll into FinCon and like, you're like, I, I do a podcast. And it's like, not even another question. Everyone just gets you. And there's an amazing feeling about being around people that just get you with no questions, no judgment, um, you know, you know, maybe your bottle's a little different here or there, but a big understanding of what you're doing. So it's like you can actually go on to have other conversations about other things that, you know, like you guys align with. And I think it's it's really a, a positive thing for sure. And I'm sure, too, in your friend group and in the other creators that you interact with a lot, you guys have shared business strategies, content strategies that maybe one person does very well with, with their business and you've given it a shot with yours. And it's, it's just the, the transition and translation of information and strategies between the two. Can you comment a little bit more on that? I mean, that's exactly what it is, is like they are, you guys get each other, you know each other, so you can have conversations that could be mutually beneficial. But it's, you know, everyone's got their own thing and their own genre. So the one thing I've kind of learned over time is collaboration over competition. So I think that like, you know, especially if you grow up in like a sports oriented family or things like that, it's like all competition. And if, if you're friends with this person, like they're the enemy, if they're on the other team and it's like, you, you can't help each other, you know, it's things like that. And then the one thing I've learned in the personal finance space, especially is a lot of collaboration. And I mean, we're doing it right now with the podcast, but you can help each other out in so many ways. And here's the, 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 here's the rub, right? Is like, there's maybe what, 2000 plus financial creators in this country, maybe more, but you know, I, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, and like, what's the financial literacy rate in America? <laughs> like, what's the savings rate? Are we actually getting our message across there? And then I kind of look at like mainstream media too. And it's because people like to get their information how they like to get their information. Maybe it's political based. Maybe uh, you want to relate to people that are like you. Maybe it's like a family thing. Maybe you like comedy infused with your stuff, like, you know, like the Daily Show style, right? But like you see that in the personal finance space too. You see like, you know, 
people that are like family influencers. Uh, they, they talk about family and money. Andy's one of them, right? Um, you talk about people that like do humor with their ones. There was like a blog a while ago. It's like all finance with like gifts and stuff like that, right? And then you also have your formats, right? Like I'm a reader. And so I would personally choose to read over watching or listening. But there's podcast listeners that people that just want to listen. And then there's video watchers, right? And I found it's like a Venn diagram. And it's like the overlap is not, is really tiny between each of these slivers, right? If you read, the chances are that's, you don't really overlap into these other formats, right? So between like formats and style and who you're connecting with and things like that, there's just a ton of opportunity to um, both collaborate and hopefully amplify and get your message out to those that need it. And that's a, that's a very good point too, because in in the end we all have the same goal and we're all pushing for the same thing and it's to improve that financial literacy rate and the fact that i consume my content different than yinka does and yinka consumes his content different than you do so it's there there's plenty of different ways and i follow multiple finance content creators that do it differently so not only learning from each other but just the fact that we put out different content we put it out in different ways is is a big testament to the fact that everybody has a space and it's not like it's a competition against each other to say is our is our organization better than yours or is yours better than dave ramsey that that kind of mindset so i appreciate you verbalizing that yeah i mean it's just a different style different needs uh different places different seasons of life like it all goes into it like honestly there's like a whole genre of like retirement planning and stuff. And it's like, I, I don't even know where to start with that. Right. But like, it's a need people talk about it. Like, you know, like there's just huge areas of personal finance that, you know, you can play in and it's and help each other. Right. Yeah. No, this is, uh, this, this is just so much. This is so really good. And now another question that just stemmed from you. Right. So whether it's for us or even one of our listeners who's interested in maybe even creating their own content creator space within the personal finance space, right? With how technology has evolved and how, what, you know, things are available now. My question for you is, Robert, you know, what, if you were to have done it again with the technology that there is now, um, at, you know, it can be super high level. You can get as depth, as in-depth as you want it, as you want to get to it, into it. Like, what would you do differently if you were to do it differently uh, now with the technology that's available? You know, honestly, I wouldn't do anything much differently, uh, but the, the trick is to just start and do it consistently for a while. So, you know, where I stumbled in that first two years is I wasn't super consistent. And it wasn't until I started connecting with these other people that are like, you need to just write an article three times a week, every single week for a year, and like, you'll get results. And uh, when I started doing that, I started getting the results. Like, it didn't matter. Like, I, one, you had to force yourself to do it and, you know, get that stuff out there. But like, I had a few realizations about this that I think new creators need to, to realize is your first product of whatever, if you're going to do a podcast, you're going to do video, you're going to do TikTok, you're going to do writing, um, it's going to suck. Like, it just is. But then part two of that is no one's going to read it. So once you accept the fact that no one's going to read your sucky work, like just keep putting it out there. And it's like baseball, right? I like to think of like this analogy. It's like Little League. It's like everybody sucks in Little League. No one hits the ball off the tee. Like it's like T-ball and they're swinging and no one's doing anything. And then you get to like the next, you do that for a season. You just get out, you make the at-bats, you try. Then you get to caps and at the pitching machine, right? And then like there's, you're hitting it maybe once, like it's not getting much better but you're getting better and then you get to the next level and the next level and guess what every at bat you're getting better every time you're practicing you're getting better and then soon it's like you're getting there and then here's the rub though that i think again that people don't realize is that even the best content creators like it's in baseball the best batters in baseball bat 300 plus that means they only hit the ball one out of three times like they're not knocking it out every single time and it's the same thing in the best content creators you're only going to have like one out of three of your articles or TikToks or anything like actually get any traction, even when you're good at what you're doing. So it's like realize that like that means two out of three times you still like it doesn't work out. Like it doesn't mean it's like a total failure, but it's not hitting the same level as your other stuff. But you have to keep at it. You just have to keep yeah. consistently creating and doing it. And then the other part of that is by doing it consistently, you get better. Like yeah. you have to put in the work for yourself to get better at your medium, whether it's writing, podcasting, creating a video, 
you just got to do it. Like you don't get to be an amazing TikToker without putting in like 400 <laughs> other videos before that. Right. Like that's just how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. No, it is definitely a learn as you go process. And that's something again, we're experiencing. You most definitely experienced that for a lot of people, they don't get started because they expect perfection off a rip. But that's something that you have to kind of get started for you to learn how to do it for you to get better, for you to progress and for you to, you know, get your content out there in a, in a clear and more crystal way. And I, and I love that you shared that. So, you know, one thing with, um, the college investor, I'm curious, and obviously from whatever you can talk about, what is one of your biggest initiatives you guys are working on, um, that you guys are trying to push for, uh, whether it's for the new year or something you guys are trying to push for within like the, the, the this next quarter, what is something you guys are working on, but then also to macroscopically, what is one of the biggest things you guys are trying to work into maybe within the next like five, 10 years? Yeah. I mean, honestly, right now, one of our newest initiatives is we're doing a weekly live stream and we're trying to bring on some more guests and try to do more live Q and a, and I think it's been a lot of fun to get out there and it's just a different medium, right? We already have the audio, the visual, um, and now we're trying to do more live to, you know, bring in some more of that engagement. And, you know, the cool thing is, is like, we're able to strip that audio out, repurpose it, make it a podcast, do more things with it. So, you know, that's kind of our goal for this year is, is to do more of that because I do think in the advent of things like AI, um, different ways that places are putting out content is that like the 101 level, like basic question and answer style stuff it's gone. Like there's no reason to create that anymore, but the tailored help me with my own situation. Like we're these, all these computer stuff, isn't going to be there yet. And how to help people navigate this intersection of like five things. Cause like you probably see this when you guys coach people, it's never just one thing. You know, it is like, well, you need to pull this lever and maybe earn a little bit more and save a little bit here and then do this investment account. Like you have to intersect like four or five different things. And, you know, I'm sure technology will get there to help people get more tailored answers and things like that. But um, it's nice to have people like feel like they can ask these questions that are a little more robust. And like, it's not really an article. Like I can't like help you with these articles. And you see them sometimes like an ask ask the reader kind of article. And I toyed with doing that too, but I was like, Hey, let's just do like more of a, a video live Q and a answer. We'll have like a general topic of budgeting. And then like, we'll talk about it and ask, answer questions and things like that. So, you know, that's where we're at. And then, you know, for the future, it's like continuing to just grow that readership to provide the tools and services that, um, you know, really serve people. So we're building some technology things, some calculators, some tools to help people, you know, maybe stick around, leverage it because you know like we said it's it's a seven year plus journey on these things longer right and uh you know we want people to be at the top of their mind as they're navigating these things whether it's paying off debt starting to invest things like that like how can we help you how can we you know just be at the top of their mind for them right and i think to your point too it's looking at ways we can almost leverage ai to make our jobs easier and make our content better so is that something that you guys have played around with or started to look into yet? I mean, I played around with AI a ton. Uh, we definitely have. It's it's just nowhere. It, it, look at what happened to Bankrate and CNET. Like it, it cannot deliver um, satisfactory content. And then it becomes more time consuming to like fact check and edit this stuff. So um, it's not there. I don't trust it um because realize all this all this ai is doing is scraping the web and then aggregating the answers with a language model which in general terms means it's like putting together a bunch of formulas and trying to pick out the sentences and language that best answers your question based on everything is scraped the web so there's two facets to that right what question was asked and what data is it pulling and you guys might know, like one of the things I, I was playing with like Roth IRA stuff, right? And it was asking it questions and it was pulling old like contribution limits because like I'm sure it read on people's sites that might not have been updated for 2023, like what the limits are. And so that's a really basic level answer, but like that's where AI is at. Like it doesn't know the answer. And so if you have a question yeah. for 2023 Roth IRA contribution limits, like you're probably, you you don't even know if you're getting that right answer on AI today. Now, not to say yeah. it won't won't be better in the future but that's an issue right <laughs> yeah no that's something again we're even toying around with and trying to see how can we you know leverage it and you know take on maybe those lower level tasks but it's not at that point yet for us to really optimize or for us to really utilize it at the at the rate that we want to so we can completely agree to that 
Um, and, you know, I'm very curious because you are, you know, that guru, financial guru. You're, you're killing it. Clearly, you have an amazing business set on it. What are you doing as a father to set up, you know, your children, your next generation, whether it's, you know, actual accounts, whether it's setting up with a credit card at that young age, getting that pristine credit score prior to 18, or even just like sharing that information, right? Like, what does that look like to carry on the, the legacy of that generation of that financial knowledge within your household? Absolutely. So we have been big on teaching our kids all about money at an early age, what it is, how it works, whatnot. Um, they have to earn their own money. My son recycles cans. I take him down to the recycling center and That's gets awesome. like $7, whatever it is for a bag. I mean, honestly, I contribute to that with like my LaCroix, but whatever, you know, like he gets to earn the money. He does the work. He crushes it all, takes it down there. And then he does save a little bit and then he gets to spend a little bit. He's big in the Pokemon cards, right? So like every couple of weeks, I'll take him over to the card shop and wants to buy a pack do all that jazz um awesome. but he can spend it he can save it um and now he's at that age he's nine now where he's kind of curious about investing and in different things so you know he wanted to put some of his birthday money and stuff into we have a, a ugma account for him so he can actually buy stocks and he wanted to buy tesla and he wanted to buy disney stock and you know some of it might work out some of it might not but i want him to understand he got a dividend from disney right like what does that look like right what does that mean how does this all work um and that's just a little tiny bit and then they both have both my kids have 529 plans that we have funded for them um you know for their future education now we're not putting a ton of money in there because two sides to that one like they need to have some skin in the game and part two is even if they don't go to college, like I'm not so bullish on college. Um, if you want to, okay. Um, I think college serves a very specific purpose and it's only got a certain value for a certain cost. Um, so, you know, I'm not so bullish on that, but you know, it's definitely a valuable option for still probably a 50 majority of high school grads. So, um, but yeah, like they're, they're there for them as they grow. So they have all that set up for them. That's awesome. Yeah, I respect that you've you've taken the initiative to expose your kids to that from a young age. And that's that's something that my parents did when I was younger too. And I'm forever grateful for them instilling the value of money and the value of hard work. And along those lines too, so <clears throat> are you, I guess when you when you look at your kids, you know, as you said, your son's nine years old right now. Are you going to be the type of parent that says as soon as you turn, what, 14, 15, 16, you have to go out and get a job? Is that going to be your strategy or are they more 100%. focused on kind of sports? No, 100 percent. Even if you want to be focused on sports, I don't care. You need to go work like working is key. My mom, that was honestly probably the best thing that my parents did for me was my mom dropped me off at the mall when I was 16 and she said, call me when you have a job. Like literally, and I had to go like store to store. I started Starbucks, oh, awesome. just like worked my way through the mall, you know, and um, every high schooler, every college student should be working and working a significant amount because like I said, the best value I believe that you get from your degrees and your education is the intersection of both applying that um, to your work and being able to work and like the combo of it, because like, look, history class, like you need to know some of these basics, but you're never going to have to recite like this random stuff, right? The English book you read and wrote a paper on for your humanities class or whatever. It's a valuable, you know, exercise to maybe write that paper and put it down. But like the contents of that and all that stuff doesn't matter, right? Like it's the ability to like do the work and meet that criteria that matters, right? And so that's what I think people need to realize when it comes to education. It's how are you are applying that um, to whatever it is you want to do. And I think there are people though, if you wanna be a doctor, like hoorah, you need to like actually do that and like put the work in because I need you to apply that on me at some day if you're like gonna do surgery, right? Like, yeah. um, so there is a balance there, but I do even think that a lot of doctors and stuff that I know, um, and definitely in high school would benefit significantly from working a retail job. Because here's the thing is these same people are gonna be, you know, dealing with patients and different things in the future. And there's a valuable set of skills there, and especially on the communication front, 
um, that people are really lacking. And um, I'll share even from personal experience and like hiring stuff is like the number one thing, and I did a survey, I wrote about this for Forbes. This was several years ago, but the number one thing employers look for is communication skills. And the number two thing employers look for across the board is business problem solving skills. And the number one reason that job candidates get rejected from jobs is because they fail to communicate effectively in a job interview. And it's been a growing trend over the last decade as technology and communication here has gone to Zoom and mobile phones and emails and text-based mediums that people have really lost this ability to sit with somebody and have a conversation and that's what lands you jobs. That's what actually gets you ahead in the workforce. That's what makes you successful. And if you don't build that skill starting when you're a teenager, um, it's really hard to catch up on, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's simple things like eye contact, a firm handshake, being able to look so, like not look at someone's shoes when you're having the conversation. But it's it's a great point too that I think, and I agree with you. I think everybody should work a customer service position because the the thick skin you get from getting berated by an angry customer, it's it'll stick with you forever, and you can use those your learnings from that in any job. I mean, and, it's yeah. it's that it's it's having a boss, like knowing what that dynamic looks like. I mean, hopefully, you get a good boss, but you could probably, honestly, I learned the most from a bad boss and like what not to do. You know, yeah. understanding like the stupidness of like arbitrary company policies, like <laughs> why does this exist? Like what it is, but then you can take those learnings and you can apply them and understand. Like, you know, I, you know, Elon taking over Twitter is like a phenomenal example of both what to do and what not to do. Definitely not communicated well, but some of the things that I found super interesting were like the stories of like he'd walk into like a room like, what do you all do here? Like no one can answer him. He's like, you're all fired. Right. Like, you know, and, and things like that. But if you can't communicate what you do, what value you're at. And then one of his rules that I thought was really interesting was like, if there's a policy that doesn't make sense, don't follow the policy. Right. And it's like, it's so true, yeah. but like, you need to understand, like, have you ever worked in a job where they had like the dumbest rule? And if you've never done that, you don't even understand why that's a rule, but now like, it's just amazing. And so like, yes, customer service jobs or restaurant jobs. I literally think that every 16 to 18 year old in America needs to do that. And they'd have, um, I think we really see a significant increase in customer service across the country just because you'd learn what like not to do, right? Yep. And I think it builds kind of critical thinking skills along with that. And I want to ask one more question before I let Yinka get to the uh, the wrap up here. So you have you have the college investor. Are there any other businesses, investment strategies that you use outside of that to build your wealth long term? Yeah, well, I mean, so the business is between working, uh, especially early on, right? So like my my own salary, my own side hustles, my wife's salary, um, you know, that's what really helped build our wealth early on. Like we started our four, I started my IRA at like, uh, I think I started at 18. I should have started at 16. Um, I started my 401k at 21 because like, again, an arbitrary company policy, the rule was you couldn't start until 21, right? Like, so I started those. My wife did the same thing. Um, you know, and we just started maxing that out as early on as we could. I didn't max my 401k early. I only did the match. Like if I could go back in time, I'd try to ramp that up more, but I definitely maxed my IRA early on. So we have these, you know, types of investments and we just continued throwing that in there, throwing that in there all through the years. The business, you know, definitely has grown since then. So able to do more taxable investing. Um, definitely I have some real estate. So I, I kind of view everything as like these buckets of wealth. And what I mean by that is like for most people early on is you are your bucket of wealth and that's your earnings. Like you got to spit off that money. You can enhance your own ability to earn money by going and get educated, getting promotions, things like that. Then you take that and you throw it into equities and paper assets. So paper assets are, you know, stocks, bonds, whatever, all that kind of stuff. You have hard assets like real estate. Um, and I think people can get there as well. And then you have business assets like a side hustle. You can also invest in businesses, right? You can do VC, different things like that. So those are like the mm -hmm. kind of the four buckets of things I look at. And I like to diversify into each of those. So yes, I have rental property, things like that. Um, and they all, you know, kind of help 
themselves, right? So as you know, stock market goes down because like you know there's inflation concerns. Guess what's going up? My rents, right? <laughs> like things like that. And so like you can you realize that that being an owner, and you know honestly the stock market's going to catch up because all these companies are raising prices too. So earnings over the next year or two years are going to continue to get back on track. Um, but like you have to realize those type of things and. You, Yes. So yes, across multiple asset classes, but you don't need to start there. I think people need to realize, start with what you can do and then you fill that bucket. And then if you have excess, you can kind of go to the next bucket or the next bucket. Right. Yeah. No, thank you for those gems. Again, if you're, if you made it this far as a listener, you need to get that foundation down first before you just start up. Oh, I want to invest in real estate. Sir. How happened? Whoa. Hold on. Do you even understand how to, you know, open up a Roth IRA or, you know, manage your credit card? No. Okay. Why are you even looking into investing? No, thank you for sharing that as the guru you are yourself, you are killing it. And clearly you started with that foundation back in the day. And now you're getting that beautiful information to a lot of people who need that. So we appreciate you, Robert. So, you know, as we wrap up here, like I mentioned, just three quick rapid, rapid fire questions. Um, the first one being, being, you know, I kind of alluded to a question a little bit earlier with like a goal, but that was more business, right? More, more on uh, the college investor. So one of my, one of my questions is, you know, what is now it's the, you know, one and a half months into 2023, what is a personal goal for Robert Farrington that you are trying to execute on, you know, in the 2023 new year? What is that biggest goal that you personally are trying to execute on? You know, honestly, I'm not great at goal setting. Um, it's not something that I do. Uh, I keep it very focused. Uh, I'm a to-do list kind of person. So like the task at hand and like if I choose a big, so this is a, it's not going to be an answer to your question, but if I choose a goal and I've tried this many times, I fail at the goal every time. But if I can just set my baby steps every step of the way, like I usually end up in a better place than I am today. And so literally I just want to have my baby steps and get through and like just do small projects every single day so that I can get ahead. And so whether that's in the business and getting things done, moving forward, you know, starting a live stream, committing to that kind of thing, doing that type of thing. Guess what? Like, I don't know where it's going to end up being in three or four months, but I started it. I executed on it and then like we continue to iterate on that. And so that's, that's how I roll. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. Cause again, everybody thinks that, you know, the, the millionaires, everybody who has high status is just go, 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 go. No, hold on. We're just normal people. We also fail on goals sometimes and that's okay. But as long as you're staying consistent with it, you're trying your best. It will, something will come to fruition. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you mentioned in the middle of the podcast that you're an avid reader and I love that. I'm a huge avid reader. So is Sean. So we'd like to ask everybody this question where it's like, what is that one book that everybody needs to read? Uh, you know, one that was game changing for me uh, is I, I read the snowball, which is Warren Buffett's biography. And it was really interesting um, to just have that insight into how one of the wealthiest people who's an investor and like how he did this. Right. And like how he thought about it, how he lived his life. I don't think a lot of people realize how crazy his personal life is because it's never talked about. Um, so highly recommend you read that from both like a mindset, investing mindset and stuff. And just realize that even like these people that you see on TV, like oh, Warren, he's so cute. Like. Dude's got some like skeletons in his life. Like it's oh, crazy. Wow. Oh, okay. I got to put that on my wish list. There are the read list. Uh, snowball. You said the snowball or snowball? I think it's the snowball or snowball, but it's the biography of Warren Buffett. Okay. Awesome. No, I, I, I can only imagine probably a super long read, but again, very, uh, Dude, it, it, so. it's, it's like that thick. It's, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. No, I appreciate it. Again, if you listen to that, if you heard, if you're this far snowball, the snowball, Warren Buffett's biography, got to tap in. Um, you know, one of my next questions is, again, I know I said three, but one question that's popped in my head that I have to ask is, who would you recommend in your network for us to have on our podcast? Maybe you could, you know, recommend them to us. Maybe you can recommend us to them, whatever. Who's that one person? Like, oh, yeah, you need to you need to get them on the podcast. Like, who would you recommend? I mean, if you can get them and get them out of a shell, I'd say like Ramit Sethi is a great oh, one. Um, again, to me, I'm a big believer in the behavioral side of finance, right? Because yeah. I think everyone out there has learned if you've passed second grade, you have all <laughs> the technical skills you need to manage your money. You can add and you can subtract and you could probably multiply. So 
If you pass second grade, you are technically set on everything you need to master your money. But there is a ton of behavior and psychology and everything else that most people get hung up on. Um, And he does an amazing job. His book's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich if you're listening, which is super clickbait. Um, But I think it goes on to tell like the psychology that you kind of need to like have this mindset shift, right? Yeah, that's so funny. You just did it super clickbait. I I thought exactly the same way when I was reading it. But I love again. He talks about um, he talks about the money dials. He talks about the philosophy of how to spend healthily because all a lot of financial people talk about how to save and invest. But he talks about how to spend in a healthy way, and that's a beautiful recommendation. I appreciate that. Um, and then in terms of the last question, probably the most fun question, right? Uh, for our listeners who just really connected with your message today, how can they find you? Whether it's personally, business wise, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. So you can go to thecollegeinvestor.com. And then we're also on your favorite social platform. So wherever you're at, you can find us, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, the whole thing with Investor Audio Show. So, oh. That's awesome. There you go. We got you. Um, All right. Awesome. No, we appreciate you. Again, the, at the college investor. Uh, definitely a wealth of knowledge on all the social media platforms. I follow them all and we appreciate you um, for what you're doing, what you're contributing to this niche and to this, to this, to this space. Uh, again, Robert, I know you are a family man, an amazing man who's a very busy man. We appreciate your time today. Uh, you are an amazing, I already knew just at the beginning of this call, just your vibe, like I mentioned on it, your vibe and the way just you, you, you radiate yourself, your smile, like you're an amazing soul. And we appreciate you, Robert, for what you contributed, even just this podcast alone. I know our listeners appreciate you. So man, we appreciate you so much for hopping on and, uh, you just you're doing wonder so i can i can speak to that prior to fli from what i've been seeing and what you do in your work you've probably gotten this a million times you have been one of the inspirations to why even i have contributed to fli so i appreciate you robert for what you do awesome thanks guys yeah thank you we appreciate your time and phenomenal episode and thank you for all the great information that you shared awesome it was fun guys yeah, no, appreciate it. Again, for everybody who's listening, if you made it this far, this was Robert Farrington from The College Investor. Again, this was just an amazing episode. We appreciate him. And again, this was On The Fly Podcast, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to On The Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast. If you'd like to learn more, check out our website at www.thefli.net and our Instagram at The Financial Literacy Institute. We look forward to you joining us on our next episode as we teach the financial literacy skills we should have learned in school.